you know what time it is. It's time to podcast your weekly journey through the world of Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm Lance, your host and tour guide through this underworld of children's card games and plot armor, where the English dub will be smashed to pieces, overanalyzed, and mocked. Mostly from a loving place. Just a quick PSA before we get started. I'd like to make sure everyone who is listening is aware of some of the legal ways to watch Yu-Gi-Oh! online, as there are plenty, at least at the time of this recording. Netflix, Hulu, and Yu-Gi-Oh!.com are all viable options. If you know of any other legal avenues, please feel free to let me know. Now, let's prepare to enter the Shadow Realm. Welcome to the second bonus episode, and the first of many to come in 2019. And continuing with the theme started in the first bonus episode, the Lost in Dublation series will focus on the differences between the original Japanese sub and the English dubbed versions of the anime. In this episode of It's Time to P-P-P-Podcast, we will be looking at episodes 7 through 15, in keeping with how far we've made it in the dub since the last bonus episode. Episode 7, Attack from the Deep in the dub, was originally titled Kaidioshin, obviously in reference to Mako's boss monster, Kiddioshin, in the sub. And it starts with an expositional intro. Yep, they're still getting it. So, why aren't we? Jinochi actually points out how ridiculous it is that no one brought any food with them early on in this episode. So, thank you! Anzu says that Pegasus should have provided food for everyone and that he's cheap for not doing so. Okay. He just has his own private island for this tournament and is giving away an unspecified amount of money for the prize. But yeah, he's cheap. Okay. When Anzu tells Jinochi that the fish they find do not belong to him, he actually says that he's sure God put the food there for them. Wow. An actual reference to a religious figure. Okay. But, of course, removed by four kids because, for whatever reason, they decided God would alienate too much of the American audience. Who knows? Honda doesn't comment on Jinochi's poor self-control as he runs to eat the fish they just found but rather tells Ansu and Yugi that he thinks Jinochi has a point. Mako, named Ryoto Kajiki in the sub, has a fish on the end of his spear, obviously removed by four kids because children cannot actually see how he caught the fish. That would be obscene. In the sub, replace all the freaky fish guy jokes with castaway jokes. The word, not necessarily the Tom Hanks movie. Instead of immediately indicating that he wants to duel Yugi, Ryota simply says Yugi is one of the favorites to win the tournament. That's nice. Not a direct challenge, but still alluding to it while giving credit where credit is due. After chucking the spear at Yugi, Ryota refers to Jinochi as a weakling, which is just even ruder than just chucking a spear at somebody. As the duel begins, Ryota also specifically indicates that Yugi's half of the field is Wasteland, not that it really matters for most of the cards he plays, but in the dub it was just called Land. Fiend Kraken's attack is called Tentacle Submission, and I literally cannot. Ryota, I guess purposely by Konami, has named his strategy, and it shares its name with a trap card in the TCG and I guess the OCG? Cease Stealth Attack. Full Moon is apparently the name of the card Yugi plays in conjunction with Silver Fang, at least in the sub, which in the real-life game is an equip card, and would be destroyed along with his wolf. Ryota is aware that his father is dead, in direct contrast to Mako in the dub, saying that he lost him to the seas. 
Yugi evidently plays Giant Soldier of Stone to move it into the ocean to create more land for his other monsters. Still a breaking the rules kind of plan. But Nuriota uses his ocean monsters to surround it, nullifying that strategy and forcing Yugi to come up with a new one. You know, the dumber one. There is no mention of the moon's ability to affect the tides until after Yugi destroys his own moon, which is a little weird. I feel like Ryota should have at least mentioned it being a fisherman and man of the seas. Episodes 8, 9, and 10, titled Everything's Relative, Duel with a Ghoul, and Give Up the Ghost, respectively, in the dub, were originally named Stolen Blue-Eyes White Dragon, Resurrection Magical Hats, and Come Out Blue-Eyes White Dragon in the sub. When Croquet is bringing the food to Mokuba, he merely says that it's time to eat, which doesn't necessarily mean or even imply that he's only being fed once a day like it was in the dub. Of course, Pegasus explicitly states that he's drinking wine in the sub when Croquet interrupts him, instead of drinking fruit juice, because American children can't be aware of alcohol's existence. Random but neat, the computer, uh, while it's giving Pegasus the update on the tournament, mentions that only 40 total participants were invited to Duelist Kingdom, which I think is wrong. Pegasus tells Croquet to lock Mokuba in the dungeon when they catch him again to prevent him from escaping a second time. He also confesses to himself that even he did not foresee Mokuba's escape, which is interesting considering he can essentially tell the future by reading people's minds. When we first joined the gang uh, for this arc, they aren't talking about Yugi's starships, but rather are discussing what a likable guy Ryota is and how everyone has their own stories and problems that brought them to the island, which makes for a much easier transition to the mini flashback of Joey's sister Serenity. I wonder why they changed it. I guess we can't reference one-off characters, even just one week after their episode. Instead of the lame joke of Joey always getting his man, Genochi insists on taking half of the boys' starships as payment upon their recovery. This comes directly after he says that starships are as precious to a duelist on this island as their life. So what the heck, Genochi? Like, I'm sure he's kidding, but the kid was robbed of his chance to legitimately compete, so this just makes you a booty. When Mokuba places the starships on the podium, Anzu points out that he isn't wearing a dueling glove. Why was this cut from the dub? It's a huge clue to his identity since he isn't a duelist, or at least isn't a participant in the tournament. Honda asks why Yugi would duel on such a strict time limit, and Anzu theorizes that he may already know the thief's identity. Why is she so perceptive in this arc? In the flashback Mokuba has about when Kaiba left, he doesn't explicitly say that he isn't sure who he is, but it is implied, because he knows he can't defeat Yugi without understanding the Heart of the Cards trademark, since Yugi's heart defeated his own power. Also, the card he throws to Mokuba is a key card that opens the storage facility that holds Kaiba Corp's most important documents, so it isn't just a random card that we never actually get to see. It's just made to look like one, at least on one side. While explaining what has been happening behind the scenes to Yugi, Mokuba reveals that Pegasus was the one who spread the news of Yugi's defeating Kaiba, which makes sense considering he had his eye on acquiring Kaiba Corp. They also paint the events in a slightly different light compared to the dub, implying that Pegasus reached out to Kaiba Corp's board of directors instead of the other way around to help them rebuild the company's image. Also, their only stipulation is that Pegasus defeat Yugi in a duel. There's no mention of Kaiba or Mokuba, really. 
There also seems to be no bylaw requiring a Kaiba to control the company. I guess they added that in because key cards are too futuristic for 90s American children. They literally only kidnapped Mokuba just to get that key card from him, but it turns out that he's hidden it somewhere. The sub also establishes in this episode that the board of directors are collectively referred to as the Big Five, which comes up many times later on, including in the dub. Instead of telling Mokuba to trust in him and that they will defeat Pegasus together, Yugi tells him that he does not need to resort to stealing and promises to defeat Pegasus, which actually makes the fist clinch move seem a little less out of place. Just a little bit, though. When they catch up to Kimo on the pier, I guess, he tells the gang to join him at the duel arena in one hour instead of four, which is a small change, but why change that at all? As I said in episode seven of the podcast, the guns Pegasus's goons are obviously pointing at Kaiba were edited out by four kids. We'll see this come up more and more in upcoming episodes. They actually do shoot at him, too, in the sub. And Kaiba deflects one of their bullets with his briefcase. What is that thing made of? Thank God there seems to be no intention of beating the pun horse to death in the sub with Ghost Kaiba. Sub also gets their first official recap at the beginning of episode 9. Pegasus, in the sub, seems to legitimately not know if Kaiba is dead, so he asks Croquet for confirmation. He also seems to not be aware of whom Yugi is actually dueling, which is in stark contrast to the dub. Pegasus admits that he both wants Yugi's puzzle and that he intends to bury him with his own hands. Really, that serious? Kimo reveals to us as the viewer by talking to himself that this Kaiba is actually one of the many assassins Industrial Illusions intends on sending Yugi's way. After Yugi destroys Ghost Kaiba's giant, he reiterates that Kaiba is indeed dead and adds that his hatred of Yugi lives on through his cards, inadvertently admitting to the existence of the Heart of the Cards trademark. Just a personal note, it utterly bums me out to rewatch Kaiba breaking into his own house without I'm Back playing in the background. Also, Kaiba's computer is significantly less snarky and therefore less fun in the sub. Kaiba actually acknowledges to the computer that someone will eventually learn that he is there, which gives a bit more believability to Pegasus's goons randomly deciding to storm the building in search of him later on. Ghost Kaiba repeatedly tells Yugi that he was resurrected from hell, more religious imagery, and beckons Yugi to join him when he returns after he wins the duel, of course. It is not Kaiba's plan to literally crash the satellite into the Industrial Illusion's mainframe, which is named Millennium, by the way but rather to use the satellite to create a back door into the mainframe because it's sending information to the mainframe and is accepting information from the mainframe. He cites that because all systems like this are based on the virtual system he created, he is more than capable of hacking into it. For whatever reason, Kaiba's computer calls the dueling arenas booths, and I disagree with this on a fundamental level. The password for the digital fortress housing Yugi's dual data is different in the sub. Kaiba surmises that the aesthetic of the fortress is significant, representing a statement from Pegasus that once you enter, you may never leave. This leads him to guess the password to be Alcatraz. Not sure which one I like better, to be honest. I don't know, maybe a third option would be even better. So, in the dub, we're a little ways away from any meaningful dive into the brotherly relationship of the Kaibas, but in the sub, they're already laying the groundwork for it, as Mokuba screams at Yugi that he promises Seto will return, this is before they 
learned he was dead, and that he will wait for Seto forever. I think one of the reasons I like Kaiba so much is because, as I've mentioned before, I too am a big brother, and brotherly relationships always get me. This one is no exception, and this really messed with my feels during the watch through. Because again, this is my first time watching the sub all the way through. Also, something I believe I neglected to mention in the first bonus episode, the Blue Eyes White Dragon's attack is called White Lightning in the dub and Burst Stream in the sub. The only reason I mention it now, apart from the fact that it was used in this arc, is because in the TCG and the OCG, I guess, there are a series of cards that have been released that are named after the attacks of main characters' ace monsters. We have Dark Magic Attack from the Dark Magician, Inferno Fire Blast from Red Eyes Black Dragon, Dark Burning Attack from Dark Magician Girl, etc. But it always bothered me that we've yet to see a White Lightning card, and I guess that's because we've already had it. <laughs> Burst Stream of Destruction functions as the Blue Eyes counterpart in this card series. When Kaiba decides to decrease the Blue Eyes attack remotely, he comments that they can't alter the card itself since it's already on the field. Can you manipulate card text remotely? Is that what you're talking about? Because I'd love to see that level of cheating. Okay, so it's, it's something that comes up every now and then, but it's especially prominent here since Yugi's staring down the barrel of a Blue Eyes. But if direct attacks are forbidden, wouldn't it make more sense for Yugi not to play monsters on the field while defense paralysis is in play? This can only really be brought up in reference to the sub, because that rule is never explicitly stated in the dub. That would illuminate the risk of losing because he can't damage you through battle. But they didn't ask me. The computer indicates that the Blue Eyes attack is 2300 and dropping, but just after that we get a glimpse of the screen and it's shown to be 2400. Dropping indeed. As Kaiba yells out to Yugi, his head does not glow with the symbol of the Millennium Items, so that was four kids trying to play up their power. Because honestly, I prefer it not happen. It establishes a link directly between Yugi and Kaiba, rather than relying on the Millennium Puzzle to act as a medium between them in any sort of way. Ooh, big change. Ghost Kaiba's true identity is the impersonator of death. Whatever that means. And he does confirm that he is an assassin sent by industrial illusions and not the ghost of Kaiba. Pegasus seems completely unfazed by Kaiba evading his goon's grasp once again. This is after he's escaped from his mansion. In fact, he straight up tells them to leave him alone. After Yugi plays the mystical elf, there's this weird thing the impersonator does. First, he acknowledges that she's chanting something, so that sets up Yugi's win con later on, but also he impersonates Pegasus, puts on his face and everything like that, and tells Yugi to just give up. Kinda glad four kids removed that specifically, even though it wouldn't have fit with the whole Kaiba's ghost shtick they were pushing on us. Negate attack is a magic card in the sub. What? Why? And why change that, four kids? The cards weren't out yet. So, the artwork for Monster Reborn is different as well, which is common knowledge in the TCG OCG artwork war. It looks kind of like an onk, which is basically if you take a cross and the top, instead of just being a straight line, becomes like an upside down teardrop. 
but it is a symbol, I think, specifically from Egypt. But if I'm not mistaken, it is not a specifically religious image in Egypt. But I could be wrong. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Disregard everything I said if I'm wrong. But I guess it was close enough to a cross that they felt like they had to change it. And Yugi does mind crush the impersonator, but where did he go? Kaiba was still there after Yugi crushed his mind, but the impersonator of death just disappeared without a trace. Episodes 11 and 12, The Dueling Monkey and Trial by Red Eyes in the Sub, were originally named The Power of Friendship, Lava Battle Guard, and Swamp Battle Guard, and Black Flame, Red Eyes Black Dragon. And they're still getting the expositional intro. I'm so jelly. It's Ansu who suggests Kimo must have taken Mokuba back to the Pegasus's castle, not Honda. Weird change. Also, there goes Anzu's amazing intellect from the last arc. After Honda claims the cards on the ground as his, instead of making fun of Jinochi like Tristan does, he simply says that he got interested in the game, bought a few cards, and decided to bring them with him to the island. See, just a little bit of exposition instead of sweeping it under the rug and making him a jerk, and it all makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? And instead of having Genochi make fun of Honda's battle guard, he simply says that he'll take it off Honda's hands because, quote, it's useless if you keep it. Mai never mentions Genochi to Ryozaki, at least not on camera, when they first meet back up. She simply says she knows who she will beat to get the last two starships that she needs, and Ryozaki actually thinks she means Yugi. Okay, here comes the poking fun. Anzu says no one is weaker on the island than Jinochi. And this is when Yugi laughs. Just like I said in the regular episode, you're supposed to be the good friend, Yugi! When Mai approaches the gang to issue her challenge to Jinochi, she mentions that Jinochi is holding Yugi back, with which he disagrees, obviously. I know this is on par for Mai's character, but it's something we haven't seen too much of yet. Her using Joey Jinochi as a prime example of someone who needs to be let go from Yugi's life as a serious duelist. Jinochi then says he's actually a little jealous that Ryozaki is Mai's, quote, servant. This is starting to get weird, so I'm gonna move on. Mai explicitly says to herself that it would be immature for her to exact revenge on Jinochi personally, so she will defeat Ryozaki after he's beaten Jinochi to make up for her loss. I get the logic of beating someone who has beaten someone you want to beat, but would it really be immature for you to just beat him yourself? Again, we don't actually see Jinochi hit Honda, but we all know that's what happened. Good looking out for kids, you can't edit what doesn't need editing. More great characterization from Jinochi as he says that if he can't take care of himself, it's better that he lose now. I know that in the dub, Joey actually says something very similar, but I'm still pointing out that the sub is a million plus better at characterization than the dub is. Mai shouts at Ryuzaki as they set up for the duel that if he doesn't win, he doesn't get the quote prize. When Jinochi inquires about said prize, Ryuzaki says it's a secret. And this is what makes him visibly full of rage. In the dub, I'm pretty sure Rex just calls him a dueling monkey again or something like that. But I am a huge fan of the groundwork they're laying in the sub for a potential love arc, or at least a sexual arc, between Mai and Jinochi. After Ryuzaki destroys Jinochi's baby dragon, he still berates him, but for defending with it face up. This makes so much more sense than Rex making fun of Joey for just defending at all. 
And Anzu's follow-up pep talk is even worse somehow than Taya's was. She literally just tells Jinochi that he's doing badly. Such awful friends. When Yugi goes to find Honda at the lake, he explicitly says he isn't saying anything to Jinochi until the end of the duel so that he learns to believe in himself. We'll see if he sticks with that, Yug. Just kidding. We already know he doesn't. When Jinochi sets Time Wizard, he says that he doesn't know how to use it, except for making Thousand Dragon, and wonders what other powers it has. Does that mean that forming Thousand Dragon and the Time Warp are two separate abilities in the first season? Because that actually makes this whole continuity issue actually make a little bit more sense. Not completely, but enough to forgive, given the other glaring issues with the game as a whole in this season. He also doesn't explicitly say that it's Time Wizard that he set on the field. Mai just assumes that it is. Which actually makes the extra anti-proposition from Ryuzaki later make no sense. He makes a deal for a card he isn't even sure is the card he thinks it is. There is absolutely no offer of an explanation as to why Ryuzaki's red eyes destroyed both of Jinochi's battle guards in one attack. Why? Plot? plot. Ryuzaki's extra anti-proposition is not to put up whatever card they have on the field, but rather that the winner gets the rare card of their choice from the loser's deck. This makes so much more sense. Ryuzaki and Rex actually have two cards on the field, and Ryuzaki specifically doesn't know for sure that Joey's set card is Time Wizard. Jinochi does not have a crisis about wagering the Time Wizard like Joey does scumbag. Instead, he reasons that if Ryuzaki is willing to wager such a rare and valuable card as his red eyes, that the time wizard must be even more valuable. Not bad logic, honestly, but you still gamble with your friend's gift. They also comment that the time wizard's time magic is unpredictable, so no one really knows what could ever happen upon its activation. Which is an interesting touch, though probably only added in for plot armor purposes. After the duel, we still don't get to see Honda hit Jinochi, returning the favor from earlier, but the camera is to Jinochi's back, and as he falls to the ground, we see Honda's fist outstretched toward us. Four kids did have to edit that one out to avoid the intentional violence, so I'll give them that one, even though I want to argue that a punch is okay. While sitting under the tree, Jinochi says he can't believe Pegasus invited them to the tournament without providing food, but Ansu reminds him that Yuki was the only one of them to actually be invited. Okay, but just earlier, you said he was cheap for not giving y'all food. As Maya's standing guard outside the shower, we get backstory on her. She notices a large ship out on the ocean, and Ansu asks her why she came to the island. Maya tells us that she used to work as a casino dealer on a cruise ship. Gradually, she became tired of people due to the constant use of power and wealth in attempts to impress her and other ladies aboard the ship. She became a duelist to escape that lifestyle and, I guess, to accrue her own wealth and power. Why did four kids cut this out? Because gambling is bad? Dumb. Important characterization just cut out without explanation or replacement. Also, Mai explicitly tells Ansu that when she looks at them, the merry gang of friends, she feels like she's remembered something she had lost, obviously implying friendship. Four kids, for obvious reasons, cut Honda and Jinochi attempting to enter the shower when Ansu screams after hearing the noise outside, being held back only by Yugi. Later on, when Baka shows up, they are all just as nonplussed in the sub as they were in the dove. 
why is no one concerned about why he's here? Not sure why it was changed, except maybe to urge American kids to forge the same kind of bonds with their cars and therefore drive revenue. But Joey doesn't indicate that he fantasizes about being his monsters. He simply talks about how everyone is out here putting their heart and faith in their cards, which is what prompts Bakura to ask him what his favorite card is. When setting up for the Shadow Game to come, instead of the verbal cue from Bakara Lawrence leading to the reveal of the Millennium Ring, it's completely silent, save for gentle but ominous chimes. Honestly, I prefer it this way, taking them completely by surprise. It seems more menacing. Florence actually says absolutely nothing as the Shadow Game starts. He remains completely silent until all of the gang's souls are trapped inside Yuki's deck. Also, prefer this too. It makes Florence seem a lot more secretive and menacing. There is still no mention of the Shadow Realm as a place or a thing that exists at all. Episode 13, Evil Spirit of the Ring and the Dub, was originally titled Morphing Jar's Trap, Flame Swordsman in Danger in the sub, and it also starts with the expositional intro. I guess we're just SOL, but I'll also stop mentioning it until it changes, if it ever does. Instead of something vague like power unimaginable, Florence's explanation of the Millennium Items in the sub is to say that if you have all of them, you will have the power to rule the world. Also, Florence is the one that puts forth the stakes of the Shadow Game instead of Yugi insisting he put everyone back to normal. Rather than keep it unknown or vague as to what happens to them if their souls are taken by the Reaper in the graveyard, Florence explicitly states that if that happens, the person's physical body dies. Before the game's even over? Woo. When Honda checks out the gravestone, it's still engraved with his name, but of course it's in Japanese this go-round. So, if you can't read Japanese, like me, it just seems like he's freaking out because he doesn't understand what it says, which makes it even funnier when he literally screams, what's going on? I wasn't even supposed to be that funny, but it's one of the few times so far that the sub has literally made me laugh out loud. Rather than Jinochi believing he's gone insane like Joey, he just thinks it's a dream, which is a much more realistic dismissal of the situation, in my humble opinion. Did four kids change that simply for comedy's sake? In the sub, Morphing Jar's voice is a lot deeper than it is in the dub, which makes it seem far less creepy, but does make it seem more menacing. Big Yugi says to himself that Dark Magician is, quote, Yugi's soul card. So we're acknowledging that they are actually two separate people this early in the show. Awesome. After Honda is resurrected, the spiel Yugi goes on is a lot more revealing than the one in the dub. He outright says that's the Yugi whose soul resides within the Millennium Puzzle. He also apologizes for trying to trick or deceive his friends. First off, you would have sounded insane to tell them out of context that there's another you who lives in your puzzle. Also, he knows! Honestly, this makes a lot more sense than him not knowing, like in the dub, because they talk to each other, like, all the time. While Yugi explains the situation to Ansu, he says that they are in the, quote, world of dual monsters. So that's what we're going with in the sub. Right. Rather than referring to Yugi as puny, like in the dub, Jinoji simply calls Big Yugi the cool Yugi, which sends Dark Magician Yugi on his tirade. Also, Florence actually explains what Electric Lizard does. All we got was a pun. Thanks, four kids. If you can read Japanese, not like me, 
you know before it's explicitly stated what the trap is that Big Yugi sets. But during his explanation of how Maneater Bug works, Little Yugi tells us what it is, but doesn't explain how it works. The music that plays as Jinochi attacks the bug and begs Big Yugi to sacrifice him is some soft, sad crap. But it makes it a much more emotional scene, actually making you halfway believe that he won't come back. When Jinochi is resurrected, Florence comments that they all should be buried in the graveyard by now. But Big Yugi says their friendship creates miracles. This makes it even more powerful when Florence announces his final plan to use Change of Heart on Dark Magician Yugi to destroy all of his friends. After the game, Bakra explains that the merchant from whom his father purchased the ring was from the Shadow Realm. I'm choosing to believe that this is a translation error, or at least that some liberties were taken, because there hasn't been a single reference to the Shadow Realm up to this point. And they've had no problem saying hell. So I don't know. Episodes 14 and 15, The Light at the End of the Tunnel and Winning Through Intimidation in the dub, were originally titled Pitch Black Duel, Castle of Dark Illusions, and Cut Through the Darkness, Swords of Revealing Light. And they begin with an updated expositional intro. This one sums up the season so far, rather than focusing on pure backstory from before the season started. And that is cool. Also, is it a thing in Japan to change something every 13 episodes? Because I immediately thought of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which changes themes every 13 episodes. This arc opens with another short recap, showing Mai being abducted and the gang coming to after Big Yugi's defeat of Florence to free everyone from the Shadow Realm. They refer to Panic, because he has no name in the sub, as a player killer. Literally a phonetic import. Which makes a lot more sense why his jacket just has a P on one side of the zipper and a K on the other. But for brevity's sake, I will still refer to him as Panic here. While Panic brags about beating Mai, she mentions that her dream of dueling Yugi will never come true now. Didn't know that was a dream of yours, Mai. Panic mentions that Pegasus didn't hire the Eliminators or Player Killers in the sub, but Industrial Illusions did, which is kind of the same thing, yeah? Maybe not. I don't know. Small change, Mai did not know about the flamethrowers in the sub. Panic also states that as a blanket rule, field power bonuses don't work at night unless you are a dark creature and get a boost from the night, apparently. In the dub, they didn't work in the duel because of the Castle of Dark Illusions effect. Why change that? It's no more broken in either scenario. Rather than go on a spiel about how to defeat fear of the darkness and the unknown, Yugi in the sub talks about Panic's honor as a duelist. He's sure it exists, but it must be tiny. Is that a, is that a pee pee joke? Also, Mai, in the sub, never seems to falter in her faith in Yugi as a duelist. She actually catches on to his strategy to use words against Panic fairly quickly and sticks with it. Panic asks himself what the other card was that Yugi set alongside Swords of Revealing Light, theorizing it to be a trap, even though Yugi declared out loud that it was another magic card. So smart. And he's the main character, so he doesn't lie. There are also more than a few references to Hell in this arc, which is interesting. When he plays the Reaper of the Cards, Panic says that it will send Yugi's swords to hell. Then, after he sets swords and polarization, Yugi mentions that the flames of hell will dispel Panic's shadows. Weird and unimportant, but neat. Also, obviously edited out by four kids. 
Yugi also says the shadows are mirrors that reveal your own fears, which is a very interesting bit of philosophy. The sub gets a visual countdown of Panic's remaining turns, which is a nice touch, even though it looks like it was made in PowerPoint. Panic also refers to his flamethrower technique as a baptism of fire, which is a very interesting name for it and a third reference to religious imagery in this episode. As he smashes his button so hard that it breaks, Panic once again references Hell as he yells that he will send Yugi there. Instead of just straight up refusing the starships from Yugi, as if she can win more before anyone finds out, Mai, in the sub, accepts her L and says she's leaving the island. You know, like an honorable duelist would. Later, when Joey hands them to her, he says that if her pride won't let her duel with them, then she can throw them into the ocean. But if it were him, he'd hold on to them and his dreams. Her dreams being to win the tournament and duel with Yugi along the way as uh, the beginning of this two-episode arc. She also says that she will hold on to the starships, but as long as she is in Yugi's debt, she doesn't have the right to duel him. But once she earns that right again, presumably by paying him back, they will duel fair and square. Great characterization from Maya in this one. So much better than anything we've gotten from her in the dub. And that's it. We made it to the end. I hope you enjoyed this second bonus episode and second part of the Lost in Dublation series. Just as a secondary reminder, next week we will be covering Season 1, Episode 16, The Scars of Defeat, so get ready for more Kaiba. But before then, additional query for the week. Do you prefer Ghost Kaiba to actually be an Eliminator hired by Pegasus, who's also extremely adept in mimicking people? Or do you prefer him to be the darker half of Kaiba banished to the Shadow Realm by Yugi in Episode 1? Personally, I think the series takes a different, maybe better, tone without the Shadow Realm. So I kind of prefer the impersonator of death. Let me know what you think, or if you have any other comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email me at itstimetopodcast at gmail.com, and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash itstimetopodcast, and on Twitter at itstimetopodcast. If you can, please consider backing me on Patreon at patreon.com slash itstimetopodcast. It'll help me continue to bring awesome content to you guys, expand in the future, and give even more back to this wonderful community we are building. But... Until next time, your move.